and welcome back to 12.1. My name is Amy Kirkpatrick, and today we're going to continue our journey through the Bible looking at Genesis 20 and Abraham's repeated offenses. Same thing, just a different time and place. everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. You know, today we're going to be continuing our journey through the Bible and we're in Genesis 20. Uh, But I just wanted to kind of you know, add on to my last podcast, which was about, you know, kind of reevaluating and reinventing our faith and and, you know, it's kind of interesting because I was really, really praying uh, deeply uh, for some very specific things and praying over um, stuff, stuff weighing on my heart, but also for my faith, you know, to kind of, for God to mold me and shape me and be, you know, help me to be willing to evolve. And, you know, I, at that moment, I, I read that or I prayed that and then instantly I went and sat down and started a study for this podcast. And so I was going back through Genesis 20, even though I've studied it several times and it hit me in a brand new light and it spoke directly to my heart and spoken directly to things that were tearing me down and holding me. And it felt like at sometimes it felt like it, you know, these things were kind of holding me underwater and I was kind of starving for air is what it kind of felt like. And so, um, you know, I, that is God's incredible provision that the moment that we become so willing to be molded, he starts to talk so loudly and just starts to uh, teach and shape us. And that's just the way he is. He's just so good to um, just wait patiently for our surrenderance and for our willingness to be shaped. So anyway, go God and thank you so much, Lord. <laughs> uh, so we are in Genesis 20, uh, and I, I'm realizing that we're starting to get into passages in the Bible that start to have some really, really crazy names in them. And so I'm starting to uh, research some of them, so hopefully I don't sound crazy. But um, yeah, anyway, so <laughs> here we go. So we're in Genesis 20, and we're going to start in verse 1. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerah, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. And then Abimelech king of Gerah sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say he is my brother? I have done this with clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. So again, as we're going through uh, these Bible stories, I, I really want to make sure that we're focusing on the intent of what I feel God is asking me to do, which is to uh, help pinpoint exactly who God is, what his character is, how we can uh, know him better and be able to see him alive in our life today because we can recognize who he was then. Uh, and so we're looking at God's character. We're looking at how he was in the Old Testament, how he continues to be in the New Testament and who he is even today, uh, but also how he interacts with his people. And so here we're going to see um, the story and we're going to see what Abraham's uh, excuses are for what he just did. 
you know, we've already been over the story about Abraham not trusting the Lord to take care of him and Sarah. And so he claims again for the second time that Sarah used to be Sarai was his sister. And so it caused all this strife and it caused this threat that comes down on the king who has taken uh, Sarah in. And and so it kind of becomes, becomes this really huge mess. And so we see Abraham do this again. And this time we get to see exactly what his excuse is, exactly the reason for why he did it. Uh, and so th- I think that's really important to see our humanness, our natural tendencies and ha- why we do things. Uh, and I think it's so it's, I think it's really, really good to see why he felt like it was okay to do this because it's not even saying, hey, I'm sorry, or I shouldn't have done this. He actually makes an excuse and stands by it as if this is a fairly good (laughs) reasoning. So now we're going to pick up in verse 8. It says, Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you brought such a great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? And in verse 11, it says, Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. I think this brings up something very, very interesting because I think a lot of us have a very strong belief that God is all powerful, that he is all knowing, that he's uh, in all things, around all things, that he has an ability to do whatever he wants, miracles. We believe in all that stuff. We have a lot of faith in that. But we also carry a lot of stress and a lot of fear that God may not work in the people around us that around us that may not be believers. And I don't I don't know if I necessarily uh recognize that in myself until I started to notice um that I have a I have a pretty distinct fear. I have anxiety that I've been dealing with my whole life, but it kind of stems on this idea of suffering, suffering at the hand of somebody that wants to harm me. And I don't, I don't again, I don't know where all this came from. Uh, we can get into the psychology of all of it, but it's not really the point right now, but anyway, But I realized that as I was reading this, that it kind of hit me that I have all the faith in the world for God to work in my life. I have all the faith in the world that God can work miracles, that he can heal, that he can move mountains in my life and the people around me. But when it comes to the evil of other people, suddenly I allow fear to creep in. There's doubt. There's, And it's not like I can sit there and say very distinctly, oh, I doubt that the Lord will fight for me against this. It's not like that. Uh, it's not something I've thought about. But I realize that in some ways, I deep within my conscience, I feel like there's a limitation. Like for everybody else in the world that maybe there's a they can do whatever they want and they can act however they want at the cost of my own life or my family's life. And that terrifies me. But I started to think about that, you know, whether we're having troubles um, at the workplace with, you know, somebody at work that's harassing us or bothering us, or maybe it's, uh, you know, a some conflict in your life. You know, I wonder how many other people feel this way where they feel like they can pray for something, but what happens if God doesn't? What happens if he doesn't um, work in this non-believer's heart and maybe I should do this on my own? Maybe I should solve this on my own. And, you know, I start to I start to think about it and I was like, I think this is a really normal human condition. As much as we look at Abraham and it's like, how are you doing this again? He's walking into a godless um 
country and he's has his wife with him and he thinks to himself we got to protect ourselves and and that is something that i think is a, a gut instinct of human nature to not turn to the lord first and ask the lord like i need you to protect us what do you want us to do but to immediately go into the thought of well god is not in this region he's not in this office he's not in this this job he's not in this school whatever it may be and immediately go into us taking action against it because we feel deep down, not even thinking about it in our subconscious, that God is not going to take care of the details in the godless people. Uh, and so, I don't know, it, it got me kind of thinking. And it's something, like I said, going through this, um, I don't know if I've refined exactly how deep this goes in my own head of maybe not trusting the Lord to do um, the miracles that I hear about in the Bible uh, in some of the more wicked things that are happening in this world around us. You know, when I think about war and I think about um, these these insane things that are happening, you know, I kind of I kind of realize that I may need to reevaluate who my God is in light of the really dark and horrible and ugly things in this world. You know, uh, I actually had the privilege to work with an amazing man who was working on some disaster relief. And before this natural disaster happened, uh, and I brought a, a crew of kids down to help and to do some service work for him, and I got to know him. And but before he was doing this disaster relief stuff, and he, you know, God just pushed him into stepping into that. He was uh, previously working as kind of a a school starter. So he was starting Christian schools all over the world. And he had uh, one school in a Asian country and another school in Africa. And they were one, one room schoolhouse type idea. And with the hopes of growing that idea out and building out more schools. And, and so this school that was in Asia, it was pretty incredible what he shared with me because he wanted to build three more in that country. And what he ended up, what ended up happening is that he had to come up with millions of dollars in order to resource building out these schools and even for the ones in Africa it takes a lot of work a lot of manpower and there was a muslim man a very wealthy muslim man who was very high up in government and this man came to the gentleman that i'm talking about that was building out the schools trying to keep everything uh, without names. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, well, this Muslim man came up to him and said, hey, listen, I see the work that you're doing in the community. I see these kids involved in the community doing good work. They're good standing people. I like who they are and the character that you're creating in these people. I want to fund uh, you building three more schools. And he said three more schools. And he gave him, I think it was two to three million dollars. I don't remember the exact number, but he gave him two to three million dollars to build out more Christian schools because of the way uh, they were, because of the people they were producing, uh, is how the Muslim man kind of said it. And that, you know, when you think about that and you think about God working in a man who is not a believer in Jesus, right? And to work in his heart for the betterment of God's work. I hear that and I go, that is who God is. That is the power of the God that I worship. Not that he is limited. Not that he He is um, stands at the mercy of the evil in this world, but that he He commands this, this planet, that he is in charge and that he looks after his people and cares for them. And if that means that he's going to work through somebody who does not have Jesus in their life, then, then he can do that. And I, 
I wanted to put those two contrasts in there because if you read that part with uh, Abraham and kind of saw that maybe in your own life you struggle to see the goodness in God in even in the darkest places, that he is uh, in all control and that he is in all all power, even though our world is spinning, (laughs) what feels like out of control at times, it's good to see the miracles that he is doing, the things that he's working on in the lives of the godless that can be really encouraging. And I think it's really uplifting to see uh, our God at work. Okay, so we're going to we're going to look at Abraham's next excuse. And so we stopped in 11, so let's start at 12. And it says, "Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, "This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, save me. He is my brother." All right. I think this part is pretty powerful. And this is the part that really hit me hard. Uh, So I think when you look at the word wander, so in verse 13, it says, when God had me wander from my father's household. So it looks pretty um, harmless, you know, as we as we read that God is having him wander. So, you know, it's nothing all that significant. But when you look at the word, actually, in the original language, the word wander means to be lost without purpose. And then it says to err, it's led astray, it's misled, it's wander about like being intoxicated by being drunk. So this this idea of what Abraham is saying here in front of Abimelech is that he is saying, listen, God is having me wander all over and I'm just lost. I have no direction. I don't even know where I'm just wandering, right? And so how he's saying that, he's saying that in a way that is super, super negative to what God has called him to do. And he's blaming God, right? He says, and when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, and so he's saying like, in this horrible place I'm in, you know, I made the decision. And so he's taking a little bit of ownership, but at the same time, he is complaining. And, you know, we sit there and we look at this and, you know, I realize that, a lot of us like to embellish our hardships. We like to embellish how tough something is. But when we sit with ourselves and really look at the situation, we can honestly say, okay, this is hard, but it's not as hard as I'm making it out to be. Being a little bit dramatic. And I feel like that's what's happening here. I feel like Abraham got himself into a really tight spot with Abimelech. And so what he's doing is he's emphasizing uh, the fact that God's making him wander in the desert. And, and so because, you know, the situation is so dire, I'm making some decisions and you know and he you can almost feel the attitude when you when you look at what the words actually mean and then I wanted I wanted to kind of put this out there for all of us that are a little dramatic for all of us that uh, like to embellish our hardships and kind of um, go over the top (laughs) with how we're feeling about uh, what we're dealing with I want to ask you you know this question is can this be the opposite of praise you know, we are trained as followers of Christ to praise, praise. We we love worship music. We go to church and we, you know, we like to share about what God's doing. But I also think that when we're embellishing our hardships, that can be the opposite of praise. And I, I want to just kind of think about that a little bit. And I wanted to sit on this myself personally, uh, because, you know, again, as 
as I'm walking through this journey, um, I think it's really easy. And, you know, I was kind of crying out to the Lord, you know, like I said in the beginning of this, that I was kind of crying out because I was kind of getting sick of the traveling, the constant change, the packing up the stuff, you know, living out of our bags. And it, you know, I kind of, I read this when I started to think about myself and I was like, what is so hard about my life right now? You know, I don't have a job. You know, I get to homeschool my child and be with him all day long and with my husband. And, you know, we're traveling all over, seeing a bunch of things, going to baseball games and football games, and we just get to explore. And I'm sitting here, literally sitting with, you know, with the Lord complaining about how hard it is. And I just realized I am doing the opposite of praising him because he has called me to this journey. So for any of you that are going through hardship, but you feel called to what he, he asked you to do, let's, let's straighten up a little bit and let's look at the situation with fresh eyes and not embellish our hardships, but sit with the Lord and actually think about what we're doing. Because Praise is meditating on God's goodness. It's focusing on what he has done in your life that you don't deserve. You know, the blessings of everything you have in your life, the abundance of cash in your pockets. When you look around out people all over the world that barely have houses, dirt floors, don't have money, all this stuff, we can look at our overabundance and we can go, I do not deserve this. I don't know why I was chosen to be somebody who is so fruitful, you know, so That praise is a recognizing of just how good God is, but we can also praise our hardships and that can be a meditation and that could be a, a working in our heart to run over the same ideas over and over again. We can meditate on God's goodness and we can meditate on God's lack of goodness, what he is not doing, the things that are going wrong, the things that are not shaping up according to our plan, right? And so I wanted to kind of, I wanted to challenge, I know some of you out there struggle with this. I know some of you are more negative than positive. And, uh, you know, my dad and I just had a massive conversation about how negativity is a learned experience. And my dad is really into neuroscience and uh, he's reading a book that's all about that very specifically about negativity and how it's wired. We can wire our brains uh, to react to things in a negative light and it's something we learn. And so uh, so some of us are more negative uh, and we need, to, we need to think about that. We need to evaluate, you know, how we're looking at the things happening around our life and are we making roots of negativity or are we making roots of praise? And then you got to kind of look at the fact of how does this change our testimony? You know, if we are super hyper focused on all the negative, all the things that are affecting us and our hardships, you know, God is making me wander. Um, you know, that is something that affects our testimony. You know, I, I think about it's very easy to see in my life as I'm putting together a podcast that if I got on here every single time and talked about how hard things are, which maybe I do, and maybe this is part of this evaluation, but um, but if I get on here every day and that's all I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the goodness of God, then what kind of testimony am I sharing with my listeners? How, how excited can you be about wanting to pursue and build a relationship with God if all I have is just my over-exaggerated um, emphasis of God's lack of goodness in my life? And so I, I'm a firm believer in sharing reality, share, being authentic in what's happening in our lives with other people so people can see the good and bad. But at the same time, if I am praising the negative, if I'm praising the hardship, if I'm um, overemphasizing uh, how tough something is, 
then we are also telling other people about the lack of goodness. We're sharing that and that is what people are going to see in our lives. And then the other part of that is I think also when we hyper-focus on the negativity, the hardship, oh, this is so tough, and we overemphasize these things, we also are taking responsibility off ourselves, right? So I think a lot of us slip into really bad habits when we are struggling the most, uh, whether that, that could be smoking, that can be um, any sort of addictions, that could be bad habits, whatever it may be, and we could very easily just blame this hard hardship. But I think that those things would not happen as much if we bent and worked and fought for our hearts to be a heart of praise. So, you know, as I sit here, you know, I've, I've been checking myself and, and realizing that I need to spend more time uh, sitting down and going and, and pr- being very purposeful. This may feel very robotic in the beginning, but I know my heart will start to change of making sure that I spend the majority of my time praising the Lord thanking him for all the goodness, even though some things are really, really tough. There's a trillion good things going on. There's a, even in the worst and ugliest things, the fact that he's molding and shaping your heart, that you're growing in faith, that, that he's there whispering in your ear when you feel the most um, darkness and you're most alone and you hear his voice come through or whatever it may be. There are blessings to be found. And I feel like that is where faith comes in. I feel like that is where uh, we grow as believers, but also as as people that share testimony of who God is. We got to be aware of the testimony that's resting in our heart. Like if somebody comes up and talks to us, what's going to come out immediately? Is it a testimony of praise or is it a testimony of his lack of goodness? Uh, so I think that's I think that's something that we all need to be aware of, like, The more we allow that negativity to take root, the more that's going to be what comes out first. That's going to be the first thing that we say. It's going to be our first response. I know you guys have heard me say this before, but I love to look for evidence of God's fingerprints on my life. So little coincidence, little coincidences that uh, happen in my life, you know, it could be the smallest thing. I always take note of it. Maybe, you know, everybody always says there's no coincidences, but I, I mean, I kind of think that in the scheme of the world happening, that there are times when you get a phone call from somebody and it's, there's no special providence in it. But at the same time, I take note of everything because I do believe that God works in these really, really powerful ways. And I think that's an act of praise. Lord, is that you? Is that, did you just do that? Was that, was that you that did that? Or, you know, and a lot of times those things that I keep track of become these puzzle pieces that later on I'm like, ah, that was you. That's insane. You know, because I'll hear this happen, whatever. And I'll all piece together. And that's an act of praise. I think looking for his fingerprints, being really attentive to seeing God work in the most minute ways. But I also think there's the opposite of that. Of, of hyper-focusing on the fact of God not putting any fingerprints. So, you know, the lack of looking for it, the lack of being aware of God doing powerful things, we miss all the crazy things that God has done in my life. So, you know, like, for example, this is this is kind of a crazy one. And this is another one where I don't know if it was the Lord or not, but uh, I went to go get my passport, went to the passport office, 
I had a runny nose and, you know, I didn't know the new COVID, the COVID long symptoms. I I didn't know. Uh, And so it was just a a runny nose and I didn't really have anything else. But we were there and my mom and I walked downstairs and they had some free COVID tests out on the the table. And, uh, you know, she she said, hey, do you want to you want one? And I was like, yeah. So we both took a COVID test and she said she goes, oh, maybe you should get a COVID test kind of joking around. And I was like, yeah, you know, and I don't know why, but I kind of started to feel very much like I needed to do this. I need to do this. And so, you know, I went and did the COVID test right there in the car. And sure enough, I have COVID. And, you know, I just kind of realized that, you know, that was a moment, you know, luckily where I did my passport stuff, they had a really thick glass there. So I'm pretty sure I hope praying that I didn't pass it on to her. But, you know, it was just one of those things where I was like, is that you? Is that is that a fingerprint, right? Um, and so instead of being frustrated with COVID, I kind of walked into my COVID experience, which was pretty horrible. Uh, when I walked into that COVID experience, I I had a, a act a, a thing of praise from the very beginning. I don't know if that was you, Lord, but and you know then then I can sit there and have a different heart about experiencing what I was going through. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of put that out there, and I don't know. I, I was just very very challenged by this. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and finish this up. Uh, We're in verse 14, and it just says, Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle, male and female slaves, and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live where you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you, and you are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. All right, so that's the end of this. Um, There's nothing necessarily in that portion that I wanted to... Uh, talk about except for just looking at God's blessings as you know things straighten out and honesty reigns uh, that God blessed Abraham anyway uh, so we can see his love and his grace and mercy in that so anyway uh, thank you so much for listening you guys I so appreciate each and every single one of you. Thank you so much for listening to the 12-1 podcast. I want this podcast to be for you guys. So if there is something you want to hear me talk about, or if you have any questions or comments, feel free to write me at 121podcast at gmail.com. If you need advice or anything like that, I would love to talk with you and just give you some encouragement. Also, please like and subscribe and share this podcast with others. It just helps people find this podcast so they can enjoy it as well. Thank you so much, and I hope you guys have a great day.